Hey there, and welcome to Radio Meteor, the podcast where I watch an episode of 90s anime Gundam Wing and ramble about it, because escaping the pressures of adulthood with childhood nostalgia is going to be 2019's biggest mood. And, you know, I like to set trends. Also, launch of the new drinking game, uh, take a shot every time I say, I think it's really interesting that... because I noticed I said that a lot. Um, so, let's get on with it. Okay, so episode three, five Gundams confirmed, or Gundamo Goki Kakunin, as they say in Japan. This one's a bit of a difficult one because it kind of jumps all over the place. You have a subplot with Trazen's X, stuff going on, a bit of development on what the antagonists are up to, who they are, find out a little bit more. You've got duo hero Relina doing their thing, and then you've got, finally, uh, Kacho and Troa turn up at the end. So it's a kind of a... it's a trio. Episode 3 is a trio um, of subplots. Let's kick off with some of the language things, because I always start off with these. Let's let's do some of the language stuff. Right off the bat, Sally and Duo really freaking difficult to listen to. They both speak really fast. Um, Duo is not too bad. He's a little slangy for me. Uh, He certainly does that Japanese thing where they kind of shorten words and slow them together, which I appreciate we do in English as well. But I am kind of sitting there going like, was that an eh or a wa? Or quite what the hell were you saying there, dude? Anyway, good practice for me. Following on with our theme of who's a child, who's not. Update on that. The first thing I noticed that Sally said is when she comes out and she meets Renina, she calls, she refers to Hiro as a stekina kare, as a, which they translate into the English as a, a cute man. She's like, hey Renina, who is this cute man you've brought to the hospital? And in English it sounds a little bit weird, I think. I always found that a little bit like, Nyeh, Sally, what are you doing? He's like 15. I don't think we should be referring to him as a cute man. And certainly Relina seems to be like, suspect of this as well. I always translated her expression in the English verse as being like, what the heck lady? But the word she actually uses is sticky nut which uh, is it's an adjective and cute is a bit of a weird translation for that one i'm sure many people are aware that kawaii is cute in japanese and that's like that kind of fluffy cute like babies are kawaii anime is kawaii or some anime is kawaii some anime is not uh you know like puppies kawaii it's not kind of cute 100 percent in the english way that cutesy stuff is cute but you know what i'm going with this it's also Sudekina is also not cute as in like, yeah, that guy's cute. He's hot. He's like, not hot hot, but kind of like hot diluted. Doesn't quite mean that either. Not in my opinion and not in the way that I've come across it being used. Maybe I'm totally wrong. I don't know. But it's not the go-to English word, English translation that I would use. So Sudekina kind of has this quality of more like something wonderful or something excellent. I mean, you could even translate it as like perfect I guess it's if you haven't talking about a stekina dress for example or like a stekina car then it's like that is a kind of object I look at and it makes me want to do like the chef kiss you know when you like kiss your fingers and you're like Mwah, nice um it's that kind of feeling and it's kind of kind of a feeling of quality that it's like something that's well put together and that kind of translates when you talk to about people if you sort of like talk about 
Sutekina Shoujo or something like that, like a, a, an amazing woman, or she's a, she's a woman of excellence. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that she's expressly competent, but there's just something, a sort of je ne sais quoi about that person that makes you think, mm, yeah, whatever it is, she got it. And I feel like that's, that's much more what Sally is saying in this situation. It's a little bit um, Frankenstein talking about his monster on the slab, I have to say, at this point, because even in the uh, hospital situation, Sally's command, she's like, what is this perfect specimen you've, you've presented to me? Um, I'm thrilled. And uh, Rilina quite rightly looks at her like, what the heck, lady? A, I don't think Rilina believes that Hero is a totally perfect specimen, and also uh, it's kind of weird to hear from, uh, from a lady in uniform, I suppose you could say. Carrying on from that, when they're talking in the lift, Sally refers to Hiro as a, a shonen, as a young man. So there's a kind of disparity as well. So we've had Relina refer to him as a child, and then Sally refers to him as a young man. And you never know, by the end of uh, episode four, maybe he'll have progressed to actually be a man. Godspeed, Hiro. Carrying on as well, talking about how Relina... Yeah, carrying on talking about how Relina speaks. Um, this conversation she has with Sally is perhaps, weirdly, the most equal kind of conversation she's had so far so I talked about how when she talks to her peers they're very like honorific they're very remote she's very polite she's kind of stilted she's kind of polite to her parents in a kind of like honoring them kind of way but it's still friendly um and then when she was talking to Hero she was very much like she was a little almost bossy boots um talking to Sally she's still pretty bossy but Sally kind of gives us because she she kind of does that sex thing where she kind of classes it up a little bit. It's that kind of much more mature, better response. They kind of talk a little bit like, I almost want to say like sisters. Like they almost have this kind of like very quick connection where they kind of drop some of the formalized grammar. Um, and Relina doesn't have all of the power in that conversation, I think is where I'm going to. So I kind of really like that dynamic that they kind of get in there right off the bat. And then... Finally, in terms of language, the beach scene is quite interesting because we get some insight into both Dio and Hero's character. And I, again, I feel like the translations here are perhaps a little bit misleading. Um, so pronouns come up again. So both Dio and Hero use ore in this particular scene. And we didn't hear that when Dio introduced himself. He didn't use ore and now he is. So I guess they kind of Give us a belated, but I guess because they were doing those kind of like five in a row introductions, they didn't want to have Wufei be like Orewa Wufei and then Duo also use like kind of basically the same sentence. One really glaring difference I thought in the, at least the translation of the subtitles I was looking at is after Hero lands on the beach, after he's done his magnificent fall on his face, it's translated on my copy as Why did I open my parachute? Um, but listening to the Japanese, he says, like what the heck am I doing or like what the fuck am I doing and he's pretty pissed off with himself uh, he's not a happy camper that he has failed to kill himself again and primarily because Rilina yelled out basically hero dame again like hero no you know he he she said jump and he said how high <laughs> that's what's happened there and uh, he's kind of annoyed at himself then Joe has his line where he's like, you know, I kind of understand that you want to die, but if you can't freaking manage it by throwing yourself out from that height, you need to think of a better strategy, dude. Then he carries on to say something which is translated in the English as 
I'm not saying you have to trust me, but I'm the only friend you've got right now. The word friend here kind of makes Joe a lot softer. I think he makes him a lot more friendly and it makes him seem like we're on a level here, kind of. I, I don't know you, you don't really know me. I kind of let you get scooped out the ocean by the military, sorry for bailing, but I come back to get you out. Um, trust me here, I'm trying to be your bud, even if you don't want to trust me. Uh, but what he says in the Japanese is, instead of, I'm the only friend you've got, So, right now, another thing you could do, like, so hoka is like an alternative option. You could translate it. Suru is the verb for to do. Dekinai daro. Dekinai. You can't. Daro. Right. Or like probably. Um, so kind of what he's saying here in more isn't like I'm the only friend you've got. It's more like you don't really have a choice. So I'm not asking you to trust me, but I don't see what else you can do. And I kind of like that. I like that it's a little bit more cynical than... It's not quite a team up, I think is where I'm trying to go with this. I should have thought this through better when I was writing my notes. That's kind of it on the language front. Um, not as much as the last one, but again, I think there's still some relevant things that kind of show some stuff about the personalities and particularly the sort of relationships as well uh, between the characters. So evidently, right after the end of the last episode, uh, Duo bailed, like, flat out. He probably just got out of there. And it was Renina who took Hiro to the hospital, or basically dragged him back to that ambulance he left in the corner of the uh, the base that they were on, and then flagged down some actual ambulance people. We learn a little bit about the technology that's going on in the present. We talk about having uh, chemical weapons, or like truth serum. Although Sally obviously has some serious cautions about using that, um, she is not keen. And I suppose if you relate that back to episode zero as well, um, she also refused to, in that version of this universe, use biological weapons on Wufei's colony. She ain't down with that. We learn that Wufei is off to attack various supply bases. He's seriously still a man on a mission. He's left his truck of explosives somewhere. He's saving that for the next episode. But. We do learn that the Shenlong Gundam is slow. thought that was unexpected. I'm not going to say interesting. Um, I hadn't tweaked that in my head, and that it, Zex specifically says it's probably not very good at flying. And here I am going to say that is interesting, because Wufei is supposed to be the dragon, and if there's one thing I know about dragons, it's they're supposed to be able to fly. Surely. There's the two dragony things. They, they breathe fire, they fly, they sit on shit. They're kind of grumpy. And they eat people. Uh, so Wufei is kind of getting only one out of five so far. I mean, he stomped on some stuff. I don't think he's sat on anything. <laughs> so yeah, Wufei is really only kind of getting one out of the five dragon attributes there. We learn about who the specials are. So we learn, start to learn about a little bit more about the hierarchy of this opposing force. So we know we've got the Alliance, who are the overarching antagonists and oppressors. Well, that's who were introduced as the overarching antagonists and oppressors. And now, more and more, we start to see that there are subdivisions within that. So you've got the old boys, you've got like Bonaparte, who are incredibly archaic. I mean, the man flies a freaking blimp. He's got like a zeppelin, um, which is a damn stupid idea. 
and uh, they're incredibly arrogant as well. Uh, we see for the second time someone disparaging Zex pretty much to his face. You know, he's not popular with the the old cohort, uh, so he's certainly of the new breed along with Trey's. We learn that they are within the Alliance, they form part of a group called the Specials, who supply the majority of mobile suits to the Alliance. That is their particular role. They are sort of the hotshot fighters and mobile suit specialists, and they are funded by a third organisation, which is Romafella, which are, well, we're not quite sure what they are at the moment. they evidently pretty freaking rich. Trays is one of them. He's got this, like, nobleman fly guy who's got a lot of cash. He said, like, I'm going to build these incredible high-tech weapons. You'll buy them from me or I'll supply them to you, but I kind of want carte blanche to have my little, like, A-team do what I want to do. I want to be able to, like, drop in on any battle I want, do whatever I want, and you'll just have to trust me that I'll get you results. And so far, he's done it. And that's why they tolerate him, but they don't like him. So we're kind of getting this slice and dice of, of who the antagonists are, and uh, I guess that keeps you guessing a bit, doesn't it? Uh, if you're watching this the first time through. Uh, and then, uh, lastly, we get some insight onto Troa as well. So I like that so far, every single instance of Troa on screen is him being kind of snarky and sarcastic. I, I think his tone here is really good fun. So his introduction in episode one, he's like, well, yeah, I guess you can just call me Troa. That'll do. And then in this episode, he turns up and he's been super judgy. He's like, well, technically you've done it by the textbook and you've made the right choice, but you've seriously got it wrong because I'm here um, and you've underestimated me. And he's just incredibly judgy and incredibly analytical as well. He's not this, um, I think everyone likes to think of Hiron Wufei in particular being these like very robotic, analytical kind of computery guys, um, much more machine-like. But if anything, Troa's kind of in there as well so far. If we're doing the, if we're doing like the cold and the fuzzy, like Hiro Troa Wufei definitely on the cold side, Kachujuo getting more in the fuzzy side, although that's still open for debate as well. Um, I think my other favourite thing that Troa does that kind of shows his personality is that he tests if his mobile suit has run out of bullets or not, like he opens up the little chest flaps and spins the dials and nothing happens and then he like tries his gun and nothing happens and I'm just thinking like, surely somewhere in that machine of yours you have like a little counter or like bean counter that tells you if you've got any bullets left or not. Um, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe it's very basic. Maybe it's still running on like, you know, Windows 95. But uh, <laughs> I, I like that little touch. And I know it's primarily just to visually show that he's run out of bullets, but uh, I still I still really like it. I like the idea that he's the kind of person who's like, hmm, out of bullets. Hmm. Well, better just check. No. Oh, no. Out of bullets. Darn. And certainly that little bit there between Catcher showing up and him running out of bullets, it does kind of just show that, again, Chara doesn't really have any plan. Again, referring back to episode zero, which may or may not have any bearing on this actual series, he just kind of nicked that and ran. So original Chara Barton gets killed, he picks up the guy's dead name, picks up the mobile suit, says, don't really agree with your Operation Meteor idea, pal, and takes himself off to Earth to fight. 
and he's really gone into a very it's a hopeless kind of rebellion um he's just killing time really until he loses and i don't think he does have a sort of long-term strategy other than to go down make as much noise as possible um and go out kind of go out kicking that's it that's all he's got ditto duo perhaps and ditto hero perhaps i think the only person who seems to again seems to be aggressively strategizing is Wufei. Catra is okay, he's got his Maganax turning up when he needs to be turning up, but again, it's debatable whether or not he's got any kind of forward plan or long term plan. Um, I think it could be just he's just being more cautious, he's sort of sounding out what's going on out there, getting all his resources together before he decides on something. Here's also where my opinion may differ from some of you guys, and that's fine. I don't, I'm not here to be like, oh, this is the correct answer or anything. The, you know, the oracle has spoken. I am just, I'm literally sitting in my pyjamas in a cupboard, so you don't have to listen to my opinions if you don't like them. Um, but I think it's quite popular to be, have this assumption that Katja has this sense straight away that Troa is his friend and they should be friends and, it, and it's that whole new type thing. But uh, on one level, perhaps that is true it must be kind of subtle if it is but on the other level i think it is just kind of logic so Tro is still kind of fighting by the time the fight's over if that makes sense and zex has played them all he's held back and held back with the carrier with the tall geese in it and he waits for it all to go quiet and then he jets off at which point catra goes crap there was another one and he's distracted, and then Troa goes, Okay, well, I can't shoot down the vessel, I assume. I'll take my chances and attack the leader. That's my take on the thought process, anyway. Akatra defends himself, attacks back, and then he, I think it's just kind of logical for him to have realised that, Hold on a minute, this guy came here to attack the same guys that I came here to attack. This is ridiculous. Like, we clearly have a common enemy. We've clearly just ballsed up, because if he hadn't attacked me, then maybe we could have gone after the carrier or something. At which point, I think I personally, if I'd been in that situation, I would have been like, whoa, 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 time out. Let's talk. This is dumb. You know, we shouldn't be fighting. And I think it's just more on a strategy level than even on a sentimental level. I mean, yes, that's probably playing into it too, but I don't know what I know. I don't know what I mean. What do you make of that scene? Yeah, you know, dial in. Tell me what you think. Because... I don't know. I know nothing. I am Jon Snow here. So, final thought for the day. It does feel like this is an episode that's kind of about working together. Hero is begrudgingly working with Joe. Not that he wants to be, but he is. And it's putting him back on course. Um, Troa surrenders and goes, ugh, whatever. Kill me, whatever. I've run out of bullets. Whatever, time to die. And uh, suddenly he's met somebody else who has, like... No, maybe there's another option. We have Zex and Trey's working together to undermine something, effectively. And also that kind of sweet scene. Is it sweet? I don't know. Also that scene where Otto is about to take himself off to go and join in the battle, well, like, or go where he is supposed to be. And Trey's quite good. He says, no, I need you here. I need you to come and help me. So again, we're getting these little, little kind of clumps forming of characters working together to do stuff, which is nice. I think we all need 
someone to go out there and do stuff with, even if it is uh, overthrowing the dominant forces in your life, whatever those may be. Tonight, for me, it will be how the hell I get out of my blanket fort and also not freezing to death because it's really cold tonight. So that's it. Sorry, Hero just drove past. Fucker. Interrupting my, my podcasting. Uh, so that's it for this episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you found it interesting. I hope that gave you some food for thought. If you have had any food for thought, please have a chit chat with me. Um, you can always find me at lemontrash.tumblr.com. Drop me a message there. And uh, I will see you in orbit next time, uh, which I'm looking forward to. I really like episode four for a whole, a whole host of reasons. Thank you.